This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to it, May 23rd. Th- 23rd. Uh, it's the Bounce Show. It's been a long morning for me already, as you can tell. Welcome to it. Uh, another huge weekend of sport with Louis van Gaal finally winning something. But it's going to mean absolutely squat, nothing, absolutely zilch. Looks like he's out of a job and Jose Mourinho looks like he's going to come in and kind of fulfill the prophecy that all people in the middle of England have been wanting to see. Jose Mourinho to the ex, well, ex-fortress of Man United. It is not everything but that. So we're going to touch on that today, obviously. We've got Keegan Kruger. Now, Keegan is a... Man United fan, and uh, he's a very knowledgeable sporting individual, mostly in football. So we're going to chat to him about this whole Louis van Gaal thing, Jose Mourinho, Man United, FA Cup, and just a basic wrap of all the sort of leagues and cups, um, Spain kind of all done now. It's just the um, Nedbank Cup, which is still going to go here locally. Uh, we've got the UEFA Champions League Cup as well this weekend. Otherwise, that's it domestically for all the tournaments or all the leagues around the world. We got uh, the Euros as well, so Keegan's going to be throwing all kinds of questions. Keegan is from the pundits.co.za, which is Africa's number one sporting blog. It's very good. I've got a good bunch of guys there that are really doing nice things. Then Dan is back from Conquer Sport. He's been in Germany, he's been around, but he's back with a great story of how pressure is it actually a thing or is it something that we just kind of make up to make our sporting lives more complicated i know it sounds like a bit of a stupid argument that it's like well obviously there's pressure because pressures define people all the way along but is it though is it something that people who've done really really well in life just haven't succumbed to pressure and therefore haven't created it for themselves well it's an interesting debate and if ever was someone to bring it to an intellectual level it is dan from conquer sports so i'm looking forward to that and uh, just looking forward to catch a whole lot of things, really. Um, one of the things I want to open up with is MotoGP. Yep, you didn't expect me to say that, did you? Well, definitely. MotoGP of the weekend was really, really incredible. Now, apart from Bad Bin- uh, Br- Bad. Brad Binder, who uh, is in the MotoGP3, which is obviously the smaller bikes. Now, he has got three wins in a row on that circuit. He's now 40 points, 49 points clear on the overall standings in MotoGP3. So he's going to be a world champion there pretty soon. But the race of the weekend, wow, this was something so incredible. Try try catch the visuals of this if you can. But Jorge Lorenzo versus Marc Marquez coming into this final lap. It was something, I mean, it was just incredible. Apparently, my MotoGP friends tell me this doesn't happen very often. So let's just enjoy the moment while we got it. Well, it's a different game now for Jorge Lorenzo. He's done all the defending. Now he's got to do the attacking. They bottom out Arapiata 1, up to Arapiata 2. Half a lap to go here in Magello. What a ride by Marquez. Mark Marquez has got all bases covered so far. No way through for Jorge Lorenzo at Scarperia. And then through Pelagio. Mark Marquez will then drop down the hill to Carantayo. Heading for his third win of the season. Lorenzo, though, won't let him have it without a fight. Not close enough to attack at turn number 12. Lorenzo's got to try and line him up for a move out of Biondetti. Can he get close enough to attack on the brakes at the final corner? Here we go. Here he comes up the inside. Oh, what, a move. what a move by Jorge Lorenzo. Marquez fights back. They're side by side coming up to the final corner. And it's Lorenzo who's going to go through. No, he's not. Marquez has fought him off. Now it is the run to the line. Surely Mark Marquez has got this victory in the bag. Marquez, he's been magic in Magello. What a mesmerizing race. Lorenzo tries to find Lorenzo's going to have the line. Unbelievable. What a finish here in Magello. Mark Marquez lost it on the line, but to Jorge Lorenzo. Lorenzo wins by. is what Marquez won that race on. (laughs) Just quite something. So if you're a bit of a neutral like I am when it comes to motorsports, this MotoGP is the business. There's there's more crashes, right? And I'm not saying it because I'm a vindictive kind of bastard, but there's more stuff that can happen in these things, right? The opportunities overtake way more. And the speed and the agility and just watching these guys and the absolute mastery of man and machine like for me formula one it's just too much about the car whereas these guys there is so much skill involved here yeah obviously the kind of bikes are a big deal but like you watch these guys how they pick their racing lines how they overtake and that race literally came down to the fact that um marquez had a different line to lorenzo and it was just so incredible how everything can come around to that last split second 
it, it was beautiful it really was so i'll definitely be watching more moto gp in future and i totally recommend that you do too that's something that i obviously am very fond of uh this weekend actually i was at legend um resort in limpopo which is the golf and wildlife resort you can go see the big five year uh five there you can get to play a great championship golf course but of course it's also the home of the extreme 19th where you fly up into the onto the mountain on a helicopter and you play the world's biggest par three, which is incredible. So we on Saturday went there with uh, Sony Xperia's new um, new phones to see all this great new technology they're putting into these handsets, and like it was just mind blowing. And then to have this round of golf that we had, we played nine holes. We had uh, we had lunch, played a couple of holes. Then the chopper came down, picked us up from the golf course, and took us up to the top there. And it's so rad because you hit six balls and. Um, Oh, it's such a cool experience. It's quite scary though because you're teeing off and there's like a cliff face ahead of you uh, with certain death written all over it. So you try not to die. So it's very difficult to kind of finish a swing on the left side. But I uh, came close to the green, didn't get on unfortunately. But what an amazing weekend. But the golf that everyone actually did care about was the Irish Open. Now, Roy McIlroy is the host of the Irish Open. I think it's called the Dubai Duty Free because, you know, Roy's got some great ties with the UAE. Uh, last year at Royal County Downs, I think it was, he missed the cuts. He hasn't had a great record, and uh, he started strong here. Like he really, really wants to win this. And, and Roy's such a great guy. You, you watch how he goes about um, his ways. He's like he's so good with fans. He's so good with people, and he's just an amazing golfing talent. He's got the greatest swing, I believe. Sure, technically there's a few flaws here and there, but he just goes at the ball so athletically. And it's a joy to watch. So coming into the final round, Russell Knox got the lead after two really good birdies and two fantastically difficult holes. But then Roy was given the opportunity to kind of sneak one back. He, th- he threw it into the par 5 16th, showing great balls and determination. He made a birdie there. Knox made a bogey. Suddenly he was ahead. And then it all came down to the final hole, par 5 at the K-Club, which is a famous venue for Ryder Cups in the past. And Roy McIlroy, just such a champion. Most guys would have laid up. Screw it. He's going for the green in two. This is how Rory finished. There's going to be a cheer at the end of this one. What a shot. What an incredible shot. Absolutely flushed right down the pin. Thank you very much. Well played, Rory. He literally hit a three-wood to about cox length, tapped it in, got eagle, one by three, and he won over... Wait for it. 11 million rand. He won, I think, 11.7 million rand by winning this Irish Open. And it all went to his foundation. So a lot of guys will, you know, be philanthropic here and there. Rory's got a foundation and uh, just he's, he's a good guy. I think he's a really great sporting sporting feature. And to think where golf is right now, okay, Jordan Spieth is stuttering a little bit. But, you know, come major time, the guy's as good as anyone. Jason Day's out in front. You've got Rory firing. And Sergio Garcia even won over the weekend. So, wow, golf's getting better and better. In the next 10 weeks, there is going to be three majors. So if there's ever a time to get into the great game of golf, it is now. It really, really is now. Just an interesting story about the rugby. I won't get into the results. Uh, if you did want to get a full catch-up of the weekend sport, go on to cliffcentral.com right now. And there's a feature on the Gareth Cliff Show called Ben Sports. That's basically me wrapping up everything from the weekend. Um, every Monday to Friday from 6.30 live SA time, I do the full wrap-up of everything happening in sport. And you can catch the little podcast there. But a story I do want to touch on is that Alistair Garcia will name his uh, initial box squad this Saturday. So after all the matches taking place this weekend, he'll name that squad. And there's almost been an ultimatum being served to Dwayne Vermeulen, who I believe is the logical captain to go ahead now and lead this team. Only problem is he is uh, he's French-based, so he went over there and he's earning the Euros, and he's with uh, Toulon. So what Toulon have said, okay, now this is this is where things get really sticky. The Toulon owner, he said, look, you guys can go do whatever the hell you want in June, but you're not getting paid. Of course, meaning uh, the guys who go back to international duty in their windows in June. So they're sticking us there, and Brian O'Banner did um, come into some trouble and some some legal issues around when, in fact, he's left this team before. But now, SA Rugby basically saying that unless you're here on June the 5th to report for Bok duties, then um, you must submit your international retirement in writing, which would mean that he can't then play international rugby for at least 30 days, um, you know, if, if he means it or not. So he'll be suspended in a certain period. So what I think is happening here is that Alistair Kutsia really wants Dwayne Vermeulen to be captain, and I can totally understand why. 
He's worked with them at the Stormers. Dwayne's going to be a certainty at number eight because this is the whole thing. You can't keep having captains who aren't certainties in the team. So when you look at Adrian Strauss or Warren Whiteley, they're not certainties. Dwayne Vermillion, I reckon, is the number one pick there at number eight. And uh, he's been given this ultimatum because I think it's pretty clear. They want him to lead in the box. So it's a lot of money to be forfeited out here if things get a bit sticky with this club. But, um, you know, as a rugby player, to be able to say you've captained the Springboks, that's going to do a lot of good. And I think um, if you ever get divorced or whatever these things happen, you'll get a lot of skirt on the back of that as well. So, Dwayne, use all that advice I've just given you wisely. And uh, I hope you take it forward from there. But, yep, elephant in the room is essentially, well, elephant in the sporting circles and essays. How the hell did the Blitzbox lose to Scotland? No disrespect to Scotland. I mean, they're inventive sevens rugby. They've been shite at it ever since, but they won on the weekend. Now, the Blitzbox were in such a strong position, and they were always the better side. I mean, they've got such good players, and they, they use they use the squad so well. Something I did pick up from the English, from the London sevens of the weekend. Uh, they beat Fiji in the semis of the cup, and then they looked like they were going to do it against Scotland. Scotland, though, scored late in the game, and after that, with time up on the clock, this happened. Finisher, sure. But the hard work had been done. We saw Robertson, lovely offload. I've got the ball off the kickoff. This final just keeps giving, doesn't it? Bryce. Riddell. The advantage is over for Scotland. Four points, the difference. Still possession there for Scotland. Again, they got numbers on the right side. They don't need them. What a piece of Scottish rugby history. Scotland will win the cup final here in the home of English rugby. So I would play more, but then they put that bloody DJ LC song on. Ugh, grind my nuts. So Scotland's first of a cup final victory. That is incredible. It's not going to mean much towards the Olympics. I, mean, I don't see them doing very well there. The overall standings were confirmed over the weekend. Uh, so Fiji winning that one, SA in second, New Zealand in third. And uh, it was between those three teams. The rest of them just had no consistency. But so many opportunities thrown out. And this is where I bring in first guest, Dan from Conquer Sport. Because it looked to me that the pressure got the better of the blitz box and suddenly they went from favourites to floundering yet another opportunity. Dan, did you get to watch the game? I didn't. No, I didn't get to watch the game. I was uh, watching cricket instead. But there's no cricket on this time of year. Uh, yeah, there's a little, little matter of the IPL. It's not cricket. I'm, I'm one of the few people it's that really, cricket. really enjoy the IPL, I must say. When is that thing finishing? Well, uh, yesterday was the... It was the last uh, league match um, between the Delhi Daredevils and the Royal Challengers, so now we're heading into the playoffs. Okay, now like this thing gets thrown at me from all angles. Why is number one playing number two in the playoffs? Right, so sure, we're taking a little little divergence here. Very, but anyway, very slight detour. What the hell's up with that? Fair, fair enough. Okay, so the winner of number one and number two goes straight to the final. The loser of number one and number two then plays the winner of three and four so if you lose so the loser of one and two gets another chance to make the final yeah it's a strange one i'm not i'm not too sure <laughs> you ask it yeah you're really asking the wrong guy yeah you know th- this is how stupid the ipl is for the very first time on this show dan you sounded like an average human being of, <laughs> of limited intellect trying to describe yeah. that that's what the ipl yeah, does so it serves me right for bringing it up yeah okay <laughs> so let's talk about this whole pressure thing right you, you wrote this really great article uh, referencing the, the the Yankees and how they've changed things around in baseball by just saying to pressure, look, it's not the big deal. We're not giving it the airtime it, it needs. Mm. Uh, sport is sport. You got to do something. Go and do it. Is, is it is it as simple as that? So, so I interviewed um, uh, Chris Passarella, who's the associate director for the mental conditioning department at the New York Yankees. And the reason why I, I thought of this article and came up with this article was in um, Moneyball. Obviously, they're now they're now very famous. I love book this movie, yeah. Right, movie and book. Um, there's a, there's a term in baseball called clutch hitting, which is basically that a clutch hitter is a guy who ups his game in a pressure situation. Um, how we like to think of Chris Morris now, I suppose, in cricket. And Moneyball basically says that you can't measure pressure, so therefore you shouldn't value a player's worth on this abstract concept of pressure. And if you can't measure it, it doesn't exist in terms of sports. So this is, so, and if it's purely abstract, we need to see it as such. And once we start seeing it as an abstract concept that doesn't exist, it loses all its power. So did the box choke? Or, or, I mean, is there such a thing as choking? Is there such a thing as pressure? I argue in this article, 
with the help of Chris, that choking doesn't exist and there's no such thing as pressure and we need to stop using this buzzword that holds so much meaning for us. No, I, I'm, I'm glad that you've said this because I've long thought that the reason the proteas choke is because people tell them they choke. Yes. And I, again, it's like, well, yeah, no shit. But, you know, when someone's bad, you call them out on something. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> <laughs> Let me try to choose my words carefully here. Okay. So there's no such thing as pressure, but South Africa always loses when they can't they can't afford to lose in a tournament. Right. What, what would you then call that? So I'll I'll hand over to Chris here, who who gave me a, a great definition of pressure, and he said that pressure is simply the cognitive measure of your likelihood to meet personal standards of an execution of a skill in a particular moment. So. It's my internal assumption that the game situation affects my ability to perform a skill. So when I'm batting at the top, at the top of the innings or in the middle of an innings or when I'm well on top of the game, I don't think that the, that the match situation dictates what kind of player I am. Therefore, when I'm in a pressure, pressure situ, quote unquote pressure situation, the same should apply, but because I think that pressure is real as a player, it's called a situation of importance. Right, exactly, exactly. So now all of a sudden, I think that I'm a different player, or, or that the external factors start influencing my ability to execute the skill. I'm not a different player. I'm not a different batsman, but because I, I've attached so much meaning to the external environment, my internal skill execution has been greatly diminished. Which is, you know, it's, it's, it sounds like you know, psych, psychological mumbo jumbo, but it kind of makes sense when you, when you start getting into it. And and, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up uh, Rory McIlroy earlier because when he won the twenty 20- 14 British Open, he had this ploy or this tactic where he would repeat two words. Whenever he had a driver or an iron in his hand, whether it was the teeing off on Thursday or, or the, the last hole on the Sunday, he would say the word process. Mm-hmm. And by doing so, he created a uniform between all the shots that he played. So no shot was more important than any other shot. It was all the exact same shot. And when he was putting, he would just say the word spot. So by saying these words, he he created a situation where every single shot had the exact same level of importance. So he took the concept of pressure and and just chucked it away because there was for him there was no such thing as a pressure situation because, as you said, there weren't any more important situations. Every single shot was important. That's a really good point and it's so simplistic. Like when you look at look at all the big sporting debacles that our teams have been in, right? Mm. You can just see the situation is now lost on these guys. Mm. It is not the first over anymore. When it gets to that 48th period, and the reason that it chokes is a very literal term for mm. basically taking all the life out of something. Yeah. When these players become lifeless and they're rattled, that they're choking, so they haven't got the ability to fulfill their roles that they could. Yeah. But is this something that, I mean, how do you, how do you get this? I'm sold on this. I, I totally mm. agree with you. Mm. But how is it that we can make this communicable to the players so that it becomes part of, of, of their process for, to, to reference Rory there? I think it comes down to focus. I think it comes down to where your focus lies. If your focus is, is, is entirely inward and look, it's, it's, it's difficult. It's so easy for us to say, you know, Abe de Villiers, you need 10 off the last over. Just don't worry about that. Just focus on your own ability. It's so easy for us to do. We, we will never know what that's like, but that is the way to do it. He has to be, a, he has to tap into a mindset, whether it's through mental conditioning or, or, or just experience that he has to tap into a mindset where he, all his focus is entirely internal. And whether he uses um, repeated words like uh, cues, like like Rory did, where he, where he says whatever his word is, you know, whatever he attaches meaning to it, he just says that Looks word him. and he's back into the zone. Um, it's hard. It's 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 really difficult. I mean, if if I had a surefire way to do it, I would be getting paid a lot of money by the proteas right now. But, I mean, like, again, it comes back to this whole mental conditioning thing. Everything is put on the physical. Everything mm. is put on the the very literal way of, of getting ahead in sport. Mm-hmm. But we all know that more and more, and I think when we look at pressure and t- take away its power, that's what you're basically saying, mm. is that if you take away its power, like when someone has a mental edge over you, like the Springboks and the, and the All Blacks, basically. Right. We feed that. We feed it all the time, talk about how great these guys are. Yeah. So the amount of time we come into it, suddenly it's like, Hang on a second. I'm not playing a rugby match tomorrow. I'm playing a match against the All Blacks. Exactly. Suddenly you're second guessing things. You're doubting things. All the things you can do are put in the back burner because now you're addressing this thing and you're giving it power. Yeah. So there has to be some sort of national plan because we're seeing it in our sports all the time. The guys are bottling it. Whether it's sundowns going up to Ivory Coast and bottling it, even though they had a 3-1 lead in the first leg right. in the CAF 
Confederations Cup. Yeah. Pressure got to them there. There's yeah. no doubt about that. And they let it get to them. They were a better side. They scored three goals in the first seven minutes against them in the first leg. Mm. That's just one example, okay? So is it not just a massive calling now that this is going to be the primary thing? So it's almost going to be head coach, blah, 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 mental coach. I think so. I think, I think there's, there's, there's a thing in South African sports and, uh, and you, and you bring up sundowns and you bring up rugby and whenever we're expected to win, we don't. There's something, there's something about a South African psyche that, that we have in all our sports that if, if we think that the world's against us and maybe this is a, a, a sweeping statement for the country at large, but whenever we think that the world's against us, we seem to up our game and we, we want to prove people wrong. You know, you could you can bring that into into all sorts of avenues in in South African culture, but as soon as we we're expected to win, it's like okay, well you guys are the better team here, or you're in a situation now where you need three of of the last over, whatever the case may be, you should be winning. All of a sudden we bottle it, and we're like, oh well, if we're expected to win, what does that mean? So I think there needs to be I don't, I don't know if I don't know which, which side you want to you want to lean to, but is it the case of we have to back ourselves that yes we're expected to win now, let's go and do it and let's get ourselves in that mindset, or it's a case of well. Try and condition our guys to always feel like we're, we're, we're up against it, you know, to always feel like our back's against the wall. Whenever, whenever we go and play the All Blacks and it's like, well, South Africa have got a real chance here, we, we seem to get hammered. But when it's ever like we're no hopers, we do seem to up our game and we either lose very narrowly or, or scrape a win. But it seems to be on the back of us wanting to prove people wrong. So if that's the case, well, then it's up to the coaches and the, and the psych department of, of these teams to tap into that and to use that properly. Mm. Yeah, because on the one hand, when we're expected, people think about the pressure and it's being a negative thing. When we're not expected, they thrive on that pressure because yeah. it's the motivating factor. Mm. So there we've got an instance where it can easily mentally be used for it. But before we close off here, I want to throw another angle into this. So I wrote a piece before I actually read yours um, about how SA players are doing well in the IPL, mm. allegedly. I don't know. I haven't been watching. No, no, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but <laughs> I now, can confirm that. But now in the exact same conditions against marginally better bowlers in the World T20, whatever, again, they cocked it up. But do you know what I think is also a uniquely South African thing that we're a little bit too sentimental and it's all this sort of contrived hype and one country, one nation bullshit. Do you think that also plays into our guys getting a little bit too much? Because it's all about, oh, if we win this match, the nation is unified. It's like even more crap that goes on to other, other teams don't have to worry about. Yeah. Do you think yeah. Dan Carter is worrying about uniting all races and creeds and cultures no. when he runs in the field? No, no, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think. So sure, that, that is a unique South African angle, but I think that also helps us. I, I think, I think that's both a positive and, and a negative in, in the, in the mental states of our players. I think that, you know, shit, everyone's against us. We, uh, we really got to, we really got to up our game. Because we need to unify people and we need to show that we're South Africa and we can do that. I think that's when it works. I think when it doesn't work is that we are on the verge of doing this or we are about to become unifiers or we are about to win. What will that mean? Then all of a sudden we start focusing on the external factors of, of the bigger picture. But when we're, when we're at the bottom or, or perceive that we're at the bottom, I think that really does lift our game. But once we're on top or, or, or on the verge of victory, I think that really hinders us. So, maybe i mean what do you think do you think then we should probably just do away with it entirely because of that negative factor or do you think we should try and drive it so only the positive comes through or we become massively self-deprecating yeah <laughs> and really push ourselves to, yeah. to quote the polytone to the floor mentally just get and Woody then, allen to to be in charge of our mental department and then we're always focusing on that one direction which is up right it's like I, I just think it's the point you make is perfect right that we shouldn't become victims of pressure because mm. that's the whole thing if anything mm. it's everyone gets nervous that's life whether sure. we are talking to a girl in the club whether we are taking something up about with someone who's bigger and stronger than us right. or Trying to hit the winning runs in a World Cup. Yeah, or just gambling or hitting a golf ball. Everything makes us nervous because we mm. doubt our abilities sometimes, mm-hmm. okay, which is completely normal. Mm. But it's to what level? And I think with with these guys, there needs to be it needs to be part of development. You know, we talk about development quite a lot in the show. It needs to be as important as weight training, nutrition, all that kind of stuff. It's just getting your head in the right space and focusing on that forward. Yeah, I, I, it's all so simplistic. It's about finding ways that we can get this in an executional sense. I'd love to know if 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 the proteas have sort so, have some sort of verbal cue that they say at the start of the, at the start of um, Mornay Morkel's run up or 
while even Quinton de Kock standing at keeper or AB's batting. I wonder if, I, I would love to know if they have some sort of mental cue where they say, Biltong. And that just gets them into the right mindset. And all of a sudden now, the only thing that matters in the world is me facing this ball. And if not, I'd love to know why not, because Rory McIlroy clearly shows that it does work. And I'm sure this weekend, the same sort of process was used. Completely. He had two par fives. He was behind. He hits the green on both of them in two. As if, as if there wasn't a tournament on the line. He, he would have played that shot whether he was just playing a, a round of golf with his mates on yeah. the weekend. It's a great example, actually. I know you must go back. You watch the ease. He hits those fairy woods. He hits them easier than the guys were hitting wedges. Mm. And this is at the heat, the, the pressure, they say, of the tournament. Right. Don't, what else is happening on the side at the moment? And what else can we look forward to in this coming week? Uh, we got an article up live today on the advantages of ambient dexterity, ah. which, uh, which is really interesting one. Um, do you feature those, those brothers in the tennis? No. There's no, a, Mr. Mr. Trick there. So please feel free to, uh, there are twins. They dominated doubles tennis. They could both play right-handed and left-handed. Oh, there's American twins. What yeah. are they, what are their names? Ah, uh, forgot. Now. Yes, yes, yes. All right. So, yeah. So, so we go into what's happening neurologically between left and right-handed people, why it's such an advantage of skills in skill-based sports, how you can train it. And I, I play football at a very, very terrible level, but, and I'm constantly trying to improve my, my non-existent left foot. And I can do that just simply by brushing my teeth in the morning with my left hand. And I can, and just doing simple tricks like that, you can condition your brain to become more ambidextrous. So, I'll give that a go and cool. chat in a couple of weeks and let you well, know how I my look, left foot goes. I look forward to reading that. If you aren't reading Dan's writing, then you're missing out on a huge amount of sports. So, I mean, I'm literally, he's not here just because he brings me presents. This is like one of the sharpest minds I know in sport. So get onto his writing. You'll learn something and you'll be able to share a hell of a lot as well. Dan, we'll catch you back. Um, yeah, let's chat next week. Sure. Look forward to it. Thank we you so much. To, we need to get into the football. And I'm going to start it off by playing uh, over the weekend, England played against Turkey, right? So, you know, there's always national anthems. What they normally do is they get some sort of celebrity or they get some really, really good looking woman. But listen to this, okay? So this woman is standing there in the middle. There's millions watching her, but she totally forgets her cue. What an honor to sing the national anthem at the FA Cup final. She's finally waking up now. There's a lot of noise around the place. Very easy to miss your cue. Uh, my apologies. That was the FA Cup. It wasn't England versus uh, Turkey. Anyway, right. So Keegan Kruger, he's in the line now. Keegan is uh, well, basically heads up things. He's the main contributor, uh, driving force between or behind the pundits.co.za. Keegan, if I got that wrong, and and you're only a bit part player, well, you know what? Claim that. It's a better intro. <laughs> Thanks. How's it going, Ben? Cool, man. Good chat to you again. Now, I've, I used to chat to Keegan quite a lot uh, in my previous days of uh, learning how to do radio back on balls.co.za. Now, that really was a long, long time ago. So Keegan knows, well, about 33 times more about football than me. But most importantly, a Man United fan as well, huh? I am, unfortunately. <laughs> well, steady times ahead. So now the weekend, obviously, uh, congratulations firstly for the FA Cup final. As an Arsenal fan, it is a trophy that means a hell of a lot. So don't, don't believe anyone who says differently. The FA Cup is a massive deal. So at least there's that. But now, what is, what is the story? Is Fincal definitely out? Is Mourinho definitely in? Or are we just waiting for a couple of days before it's all made confirmation? At the moment, we seem to just be waiting for a couple of days before we actually get to see or hear their confirmation. Um, last night, there were sources out um, out of England or BBC were reporting that it was basically gone. So um, I think everyone is just stalking the Man United timeline and just waiting for the news to break on the club side of things. So is it like unanimously, is, was that the only option? I mean, did he have to leave? Was there no other, other way around this? Listen, it's been a long time coming, I think, Ben. Uh, things haven't been uh, consistent enough on the results side of things. Uh, fans haven't been happy with the type of football he's played. 
um, a lot a lot of fans are, are happy with the with the youth thing the youth side of things but um other than that it's been pretty poor and with the amount of money that he's spent since arriving um yeah i don't think it justifies that he stays on any longer yeah it's kind of fair i mean he had what another year on his contract um money isn't really an issue so there will be some sort of buyout clause i mean i think moy's got what like 50 million pounds or something like stupid or 20 million whatever it was it was way too much and it's going to go a similar thing here so Man United essentially are going to throw money at the problem, and uh, Jose Mourinho is is the next guy. Just like gut feeling when you started hearing the rumours, were you excited about this going to be the next step, or the next era, perhaps in Man United's history? Funny enough, not. I've actually been trading it. Um, I've been very critical of Mourinho, and I still am. Uh, there's a few things that I'm not happy about, especially when he comes across. Um, it seems to divide a club. Um, after his three years and yeah I'm still a bit in limbo I'm, quite, I'm not quite too sure how to take this news if he is uh, if he is appointed but um, I guess there's nothing you can do you, you support a team and you just got to support support him through it if he is a made manager yeah we look at his track record of course he was like the golden boy in Portugal um, you got a Champions League medal there with a team of nobodies really and then, uh, yeah, Chelsea, Inter Milan, Real Madrid. The guy obviously has a record and he's got a track record that people want. But it's such a difficult thing getting this new manager. And I mean, we saw with Jurgen Klopp coming into Liverpool. He was a guy that everyone wanted. He was like that sexy option. You know, he's done well with lesser teams and lesser players. But now, do you reckon, just with initial squad right now, how this is going to gel with Mourinho? Because guys come in, they're going to let, let go of players, they're going to try to bring in players. Like, what are his chances at even succeeding in this first level? Sorry, in this first season alone. Yeah, it's it's. This is what what worries me a little bit because um, the squad at the moment isn't a Mourinho-based squad. Um, there's going to be lots of players leaving, yeah. quite a few players coming in. Um, I don't see us really um, becoming, you know, that force within one season again we might compete a little bit better um he might uh, bring some unity for a bit but i don't think he's gonna have enough time really to to really retransform the team into something um i think some young players will unfortunately lose out at the club which is a bit of a pity because if there is one thing we can give van gaal even though he was he was uh, forced to use the young players um, they've really responded under him, and they've they've really shown that the club has a bright young future um, if they're given the time. Well, exactly that. Martial was uh, Rashford. Um, take those two guys away. Where where were the goal options coming this year? So he would have been screwed without those two. So, but now expectation wise, now we saw Moyes came in, and Fergie said, you know, give him time. He's going to be the one. Get behind him. This is the guy to take it forward. He was shy. He got turfed out. From Carl also didn't serve his contract. Would Mourinho be given a bit more sort of uh, leeway here as far as expectations concerned? I doubt it. He's, high, he's too high profile for that. Um, he's gone in everywhere. He's been successful straight away. They'll give him the open checkbook, I think, and they'll make sure that, uh, or they'll expect him to, to win from the get-go. Um, I think it's proven that Mourinho is not a long-term manager by any, by any means, and uh, they know they'll have four, four years max probably with him they expect results quickly. Well, I guess if he does stay with four years, he'll have built up a decent dynasty because, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's shown that if he does have a decent time with the team, he's, he's pretty good. But like, how do you reckon this is this is going to change the whole league? Because I, I loved Van Gaal at Man United, admittedly to the expense of Man United, but it was a character that they definitely needed. Mourinho coming back now is going to change the dynamic completely because it's not just about him coming back. It's about his biggest rivalry across the city being Pep Guardiola. They've got quite a spicy past, don't they? They do have a spicy past. Um, they they seem to have gotten, you know, had they've really gotten at each other a few times. Um, and it's proved, well, it was said that uh, Mourinho gave Pep the most headaches uh, during his time because, you know, he's very in the media, in your face the whole time. He tries to put the pressure on, on the opponents. And uh, it should be quite interesting if that happens again. We don't know... Um, who will come out better this time around? I think both squads need a lot of work, but um, yeah. it will add an extra, uh, a different dimension to the Premier League, like you said. And uh, also, when you've got someone like Conte coming to the Premier League, you know, there's Klopp who will be better next season. Um, it should be a spicy Premier League. 
it's such a mouth-watering prospect, though, because as you say, squad needs work, right? Okay, so let's just run it through before we get into the Euros and the other leagues. So Man United needs work. New manager, players are going to be coming and going. Man City needs work. New manager, probably less players going. Maybe a couple coming here and there. Arsenal definitely needs work. Whether it's re overhauling Arsene Wenger or whatever it may be, there's work to be done there. Liverpool, they're not in, in, in Europe. They're going to battle to get any sort of big signings. So what Klopp's going to be able to do there is he has to rework what he's got. There's no way they can get big names. And then you've got Chelsea, who on the back of an absolute dog shit season, what, what uh, Conte can do there as well. So, I mean, is this looking like Leicester could actually do the absolute unthinkable and defend this title? Well, that's the thing. Um, we don't know. And, uh, and with extra football, with Champions League football, we don't know how that squad's actually going to perform. Um, they're going to need a hell of a lot of um, signings. Um, that squad is very, very thin. Um, and we all know thin squads in Europe, just it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and it's... It's really, really, it's probably going to be one of the, for me, one of the most exciting seasons next season because we don't know what to expect. We're all expecting the big guns to get back onto, you know, back onto form and, and, and get back to how we, how we know them. But like we, like we said, like this season was a complete surprise at Leicester. We could see a different team do a Leicester. We could see actually well, yeah, Spurs um, learning from their mistake. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's so open. Um, I think anything is possible. I think we just set up for a brilliant season. Wow, it's almost, it's almost going to become like a tangible sort of top eight. Just got a message in here on WeChat from uh, Kodua. Sorry, I haven't got my glasses on today. So Kodua, Kodua, I apologize if I butchered that. What was uh, Mourinho's relationship with, with Ferguson? Was it, was it a genuine one or was it one of those sort of respecting from afar kind of relationships? As far as I know, it's, it's, it's quite a personal one. I think off the field, they sort of got together quite a few times. Um, both have mentioned it before that they've met for, they've had glasses of wine afterwards, uh, after games, and they've had dinners together, things like that. So I think they, they respect each other uh, completely. And I think they got off the, f you know, away from football, um, they got on quite well. Um, so I think that could be the link that why he could be coming and will make it a stronger link that Ferguson. But I think my, my my main concern is I don't know what his value, if he'll be able to stick to the United values, which is using juniors, playing a certain style of football. We could have another Van Gaal situation all over again. Well, after he, w after he lost the change at Chelsea, maybe he wants to turn to the juniors now because at least they'll be able to still hold him in, in high regard, not going to give him a lot of shit. <laughs> Hopefully that way. Um, yeah. <laughs> I guess if I was a junior sitting in a change room now, I'll be, I'll be really worried for my future because you don't know what you can expect at Jose. Um, we've seen a few juniors like Kevin De Bruyne and that leave the club, go to another club and, and have an absolute stormer and actually be probably the club's best players. So yeah. I think some, um, some juniors will be on their phones to their agents. Um, and while others will be saying, well, maybe I can win this guy over on the training pitch. Well, the final question on Man United. What is the story around uh, Ibrahimovic perhaps going in there, maybe not primarily as a player? Is this a whole bunch of bullshit, do you reckon? Yeah, I think I'm on that. I think it's a whole bunch of bullshit at this point in time. It's a good laugh, but it's uh, I can't see that happening. Um, I can't see him being a coach or a player coach for 12 months and then becoming the assistant coach straight afterwards. I, just, I think that's pretty much fabricated at this point in time. Oh, shit. I almost forgot to ask you the other question that I did have for you. Sorry, I did a lot of prep here, Keegan. You're going to be very impressed with my, how I've, I've progressed in my football knowledge. What does this now mean for Ryan Giggs? Well, again, in the British press, it says, uh, well, they reporting that Giggs will be on the way out for a news made um, coach. Um, there hasn't been too much more said about it. Um, I do believe... If Mourinho does come in, Giggs should go and take a head coaching role somewhere else. Um, he's not ready for the United job anyway, so I think for him, if he want, if man, if becoming a, a first team manager is what he wants to do, he needs to go out there and, and put himself forward for other clubs and, and build the build the CV. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if the guy's got the temerity to go and play the field with his brother's wife, I'm pretty sure he can go try find another club. I mean, he really must get out of his comfort zone now. <laughs> Like he's been there since the age of whatever. He's been there forever and ever. So it would be, it would do a huge service to go somewhere else. Then maybe, then maybe come back. Cause it just seems like it's a little bit too buddy buddy him hanging around. 
Anyway, we must get on to the Euros, right? Now, I've had a few discussions so far, just like a basic understanding of who's doing what and who to look out for. Do you reckon after, well, I mean, we can't take anything into that glorified Spurs um, Leicester 11 against Turkey over the weekend. But do you think this is a year that England might have something on the go here? Might have a chance in this tournament? Uh, I'm not too convinced. I watched the game on Sunday, that friendly against Turkey. And I know it doesn't mean much, but there's just too many players in that squad that's unfit or just come back from injury. I just don't see them being ready for when it's tournament time. Um, guys like Jack Wilshire, Jordan Henderson. Um, yeah, they, they looked sloppy as well. Even Raheem Sterling, who's who's played probably mo- more football than both of them, has looked quite sloppy. So I think it's going to be good old England again. Yeah, I think so as well. I mean, Vardy's getting married as well. So he's going to miss out on a match, and then he wears your head after getting married. Uh, everything on Harry Kane. Uh, is Rooney going to do anything? Is Rooney even in the team? Rooney's in the squad. He's selected as a striker, which is probably the worst thing that Hodgson could have done right now. Um, But yeah, that's why I say I think there's so much imbalance in that squad at this point in time. Um, Players that are so out of form, uh, I really don't. I'll be quite surprised if they do make it out that group. Okay. Well, uh, then to look at the favourites, Germany obviously pops up straight away, along with, say, someone like a France. But do you think France deserves, I mean, I know that the hometown team and all that, but do you think they've got the squad that really deserves a favourite tag? Yeah, definitely. I, I think if they had Benzema with them, it probably would have been a hell of a lot stronger. But um, they, they still a lot of experience, and there's a lot of excitement with the youth in that squad. Um, for me, they deserve the favourites tag, Another team can never write off is, uh, is Germany. They, I know they're having some troubles on the fullback positions, but there's quality in that squad, and they know how to play big competitions. Yeah, exactly. It's just a proven track record. Now, Spain was something that interested me, and then I know Costa's a bit of a dick, and he's been up and down form-wise. But Torres has seemed to be... I mean, his, his run here in the Champions League has been pretty good. He's been very strong. He couldn't make the squad either. Have they gotten a bit strike power light? Um... It's quite a bit of a weird one. I mean, I understand the Kofsta admission, but it's just the Torres one that, that sort of stumbles me a bit. I mean, you've got a striker in form. I would have taken him with. Um, listen, the strikers they have in the squad have done a job for, for Spain. Um, they are doing well, and they're, and, and they're playing regularly for their clubs. But I do think it's a bit strange. Um, I'm not too sure how, how that squad will fare, but, geez, if you look around, Ben, there's quality in every single position and there's experience almost in every single position. So I won't be surprised if this is the tournament where you see the old Spain back again as well as in the top four. I, I don't think they're going to have a poor World Cup as the last one. Yeah. Any sort of surprise teams for you that you wish to be looking out for? I mean, obviously we know Spain, Germany, they're, they're a real big threat because even just on, on past experience and past glories, which, who do you reckon could be as potential surprise here, seeing that it's not England, of course? I think we've got to look at, uh, we say, I know for the last few years, Belgium has popped up or whatever. And, and I think once more, you've got to look at them. Um, they've got a guy from Chelsea, Eden Hazard, that's decided to play football again. And, you know, he could possibly carry the side through. They've got great other players like Lukaku. And and uh, I know Vincent Kompany is probably is missing out. So, yeah. you know, there's a... There's still enough. There's quality goalkeepers. They've got Couture and goals there. So there is quality in that squad, and they could possibly do something something uh, really meaningful this tournament. Italy is also, you know, the typical dark horse. Um, I looked at the squad a few, what's it, a few weeks ago, and it looked very, very thin. But that's the type of squad Italy will mold into world champions. Um, we've sure. seen it before, and won't surprise me if they do well again. And then Portugal got a few youngsters coming up. Um, I'm not too sure how they will fare completely, but they could be an outsider this time around. Um, I know many are hoping that Ronaldo actually has a good international tournament. And I think it's, it's due that he, that he, that he steps up for the country and he does something what Messi did in the Copa and uh, the World Cup and actually lead his country to a final. Yeah, that's a good point because that is really what's lacking between uh, him and, him and Messi. They've been so prolific on the continent and doing things in the league with the national honors really aren't so great. Um, so just going on to Messi, Copa America, are you going to bother with while they're watching that? Or is it very much going to be overshadowed completely by the Euros? I think for our audience might probably be the, 
the Euro probably overshadowed of it, but the Copa is a good competition. There's there's some quality, there's some real quality in that competition, and it's it's hard football. It's um, if you like the Premier League, you can enjoy the Copa. The, they don't back out of challenges and things like that there, and it's very fiery. Um, will I be following it that closely? Probably not, because it's been played in the US, so yeah. I'll probably be sleeping most of the time. <laughs> exactly, looking at like 3 a.m. games there. Yeah. I mean, unless you've been watching NBA for the last six months to condition yourself in the sleeping pattern, you might not be <laughs> gravitating towards this one. But it looks like... Uh, Jeez, I've tried to do that, and that's difficult enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it looks like Suarez also going to miss out now. He did, uh, did his hamstring over the weekend. Yeah, it didn't look good. Um, I saw he was in tears again after that, after being taken off. Uh, it doesn't look good, but there hasn't been too much said about it, so we'll just have to wait and see. Cool, Keegan. Well, just to wrap up the football... Uh, look, you know, look on the African sort of side of things. We know Sundowns have, you know, been been crowned the the champions of the league, and uh, just kind of disappointing that we look at the, on the African uh, perspective how our, t- our teams here in SA have just not kicked on. Any particular reason for that at the moment? I mean, uh, is it weak squads? Or, you know, unlucky injuries, that kind of stuff. What, what is it that our teams aren't kicking on there? Oh, it's so difficult to say, Ben. Um, we've sort of looked at this for many, many years, and I think we've had a chat about it in your previous shows as well. That um, I think it's got a bit of everything. It's 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 the travel time. It's the um, it's sort of it, it all starts with the build up for me. Um, I don't think traveling is great into Africa. I think mentally we're probably a bit weaker than the other sides, um, and we always seem to hear these stories about our teams when they go to deepest, darkest Africa that, uh, you know, they, they've been put in a hotel where there's uh, a bunk beds and, you know, there's no, it's sort of very hostile. Mm. The, and, and I don't think we deal with that very, very well. And uh, maybe it's a sake that our players are a bit of prima donnas. I, I'm not too sure about that, but it just seems to, uh, yeah, it just seems we don't mentally, we don't, go into these tournaments very well and and I and I think it's something that you guys touched on earlier I think I think we don't prepare our players well enough for for that um, and I think it's probably going to be a bit of an issue for for years to come but let alone you can't discredit Orlando Pirates they seem to be the only side that can play in Africa and they seem to get it right year in year out even though they don't win a trophy yeah well, they did run it so close they got, they got to a final which was good enough for the sports minister who then gave them lots of money <laughs> Oh, Fakile, yeah. Fakile loves a final, so uh, you'll only see him around when uh, when there's a team around in the final. Yeah, exactly. Well, Keegan, um, we're going to have to pinch it off there. Uh, what's happening on the blog at the moment? Anything we look forward to the rest of the week? Uh, just team of the week, basically for Super Rugby coming up. Uh, we'll have a few reviews. There's obviously Champions League final coming up this week, so probably a bit of, bit of build up there. And yeah, that's about it really for this one. Cool. So the pundits.co.za and uh, just give us a plug of the, the social media there to look up for some more stuff. Um, on Twitter at the pundits SA, uh, we've got an Instagram account, the pundits SA. Ryan's very active on there. And yeah, and the Facebook page, you can just search, search the pundits. Cool. Keegan, well, thanks so much for joining us and your insights on the football. It is, uh, yeah, it's going to be a busy summer for those guys. There are going to be all kinds of injuries going into the start of the season. I can see it. But yeah, I, I just, I'm so looking forward, like you said, about this new Premier League season with all these new roles and dynamics and things coming into it. So we're definitely going to have a lot more conversations to be had around then. Yeah, it should be great. Looking forward to catching up again. Cool. Thanks, Keegan. Catch us soon. Cheers, mate. Right, so that was Keegan Kruger from the pundits.co.za. Really, really good site that, so look out for that. We're going to finish off, quickly wrap it up. Uh, French Open starts this week. Started yesterday, essentially. Um, Novak Djokovic, he's got a first-round matchup against your Lou, and he'll be the top half of the draw. So just look through the seeds there. The way I see it, and it's very difficult to kind of put all your eggs in one basket and pick a winner at the moment in men's tennis, but it's got to be Djokovic. I just think it's got to be him. Nadal's the fourth seed, so, you know, he's further down on the other side of the draw. And, um, you know, he just lost to Murray, but I think that's the best thing that could possibly have happened to him because he's obviously looking for this the elusive French Open title. And, um, you know, he, you know, he's got the game for it. He's so explosive. He's so strong. But he is so fallible at the same time, which just makes him such a great people's champion as Djokovic. And that's why people actually do like him. You know, he's not boring like Federer, Murray, Nadal. They're all boring, right? Vavrinka as well, slightly more exciting, mostly because he just wears different kind of shorts. But 
that's just about it. So you want to kind of get behind Djokovic and you want to think this is going to be the one he get, he does get. He's been looked absolutely irresistible in previous times, only to then lose in straight sets or fall out somehow. So my money's in Djokovic. I really hope he wins. Um, same with Serena. I think she had a bit of a, a fa- bad start, lo- sorry, bad finish last year, but I'd love to see her back at the top there because if she's at the top, then everyone else has the player completely out of their socks to try and match her. And that makes a really good thing. So I want to go with the top seeds here. Yeah? I want to go with the top players and I want to see them go all the way to the top. Murray is the second seed for Roland Garros. So all being to form, a Murray Djokovic final could be one of the most exciting things this year in sport. And uh, if it results in Scottish tears, well, I will myself will not cry. Speaking of Scottish things, I want to just finish off very quickly with that whole Muirfield thing. Now, we've all heard a lot about this, that Muirfield will not accept women members into their club, which means that the Open, the RNA have said, right, you're off the Open rota. You will not be hosting any more Opens until your stance towards women is changed. Now, there's various various talking points around this. And I've got to say, I support pretty much all of them, really. Now, I read a whole bunch of the weekend, so my, my thoughts have started to settle. I want to leave you with this. My belief is, if Muirfield doesn't want women members, then leave them to it. If that's the way they want to live life, so be it. Don't pressure them. Let them do what they want to do. They've just lost the open, right? Let's see how they deal with that. It's it's such a nonsensical debate. People are going on about, oh, this is an absolute travesty. These people are absolute archaic dinosaurs. This is sexism, blah, 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 blah. Who cares? There are so many better things to worry about in this in this world. And you get a guy who's looking for attention like Gary Player saying, you know, it's just a shame at a place where I won the Open. Of course, the only reason he's saying this is to remind you that he won the Open at Muirfield. Now, if it was such a big deal, people should be more excited about uh, women's rights in Saudi Arabia or what's happening in other parts of the world. Who cares about a whole bunch of stuffy old Scottish gits in Scotland saying we don't want members that are women? Women can still play there. It's really not a big deal. So people are getting all up in their high horse and they're having these vociferous debates about this is atrocious and this is what golf doesn't need. Golf will be all right. These guys can do what they want and let them be because they're only going to lose out themselves. I, for one, want to be a part of a club where women and men are both welcome because that's what golf is. Golf's a really great game. And I've been saying this forever. You know, I'm a big, big golfing fan. But at the same time, let these guys be. There's women's gyms out there, right? What, what what next? Are we then going to say, well, you can't just have women here. You need men as well. Sometimes things don't always have to be equal, open, and friendly. Sometimes they can be what they are. So let Mirfield be, right? 64% of them voted for women members. It's only a matter of time until they, they turn um, their own way. Let that happen by themselves. And then they can get to the point where they can play the, rot- the, the open again. So let's take them off the open rotor. Let's give another course a try. Let's get other people in the mix here. Let's all stop bitching about things that aren't actually that important. And look, up until the 80s, uh, well, I mean, look at Augusta. They didn't have women as well. The one thing I do not enjoy, though, is that there's another story that's come out about Muirfield not allowing uh, Jewish people to play on the golf course. And that's like a whole different kind of prejudice. You can be, you know, again, where this story comes out, it makes the woman, uh, the no woman member story even worse. But my original point might be, let, let these guys do what they want. Let's get other clubs that are more deserving of the Open Championship to host it. Let's not pressure these guys. Let's not get them reluctantly into the into the, the modern 20th, 21st century. Do what you want, Muirfield. We'll just see where that gets you. And on that, I'd say have a great sporting week. If you missed any of this live then thebalance.co.za for the full feature. And I include the clips I play and give you all the information about our guests. And for everything else, you can also go to the Balance page on cliffcentral.com. And that is where you can find all the episodes of the show. I am all talked out for the day. I'm going to go home. But thank you for joining me and uh, catch you back next week. This is cliffcentral.com.